0: It's Rusty Diamond Motherfucker. Yo, yeah, oh man. Boom, is Rusty. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast, the Public Access Podcast. Here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network (QGBN), where you can hear other great shows such as "When the Gloves Come Off," the Thinking Man's Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is it with Lizzie and Say by the Ben. Uh, and you can listen to these anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can watch them on YouTube. You can watch them on Rumble if it gets too crazy. And uh, the show is sponsored by Fred Ben Savages, Fox Stoner Eats Productions. Hardcore entertainment hypnosis is great, and sockemup.org, and yeah, you guys. Today, it is Friday. It is hot here, hot and humid and sticky. Um, You know, you know how it goes. It's still early, so uh, luckily I don't have any booked too late in the day. But I'm sure I'll be playing hot up here in my my sweat lodge of an office. So. Uh, and AC is loud, so it's just going to be, you know, you know how it goes. But um, yeah, it's not about not about in this place. Uh, it's about what is happening here. And so today I have a special guest, episode four nineteen, almost. So uh, we're going to bring our special guest on right here, right now. We have Denny Van. How you doing?
1: hey rusty thank you so much for having me
0: you're very welcome i i like your everything going on in there i like your uh your your shirt and your the background going on it's uh it's it's a nice nice setup there it's very cool works pretty well yeah comfortable 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 is very important for what it is now um all right, so Is your job right now um, mostly uh, in person, or is it more online? A lot of the stuff I do is virtual (laughs) in 2D. Um, I
1: am a professional linguist. I have been for almost 30 years. And um, my specialty is nonverbal communication. And so a lot of it can be done online, but I do prefer 3D. Sometimes you miss information nonverbally in 2D, you know, when you just have
0: a virtual right. camera looking at someone. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it's been interesting with it. And I mean, what, what is the percentage of is it 90% of all communications nonverbal? Is it was you know the number somewhere around there?
1: It, it depends on what research you're looking at. Some say 70. Some say 90, but yes, definitely the body never lies to me, especially when the words or the expression of what's being said, it doesn't match the body. And so bodies are always talking to me. Um, I was a professional licensed massage therapist, and I, I let that license go to really focus in on, um, I get contracts through schools universities and uh, corporations to do the work that I do.
0: So is that, um, I I mean, so like, are are you there to see if people are lying about stuff or or like, like I've seen there's this, um, I forgot what the name of the YouTube channel is, but this, uh, they, I think it's like two or three people, but they watch all these like old like court cases and stuff of that nature, and are able to you tell know, if focus. they're lying.
1: Yeah, yeah, they tell if they're lying. The body language guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a, I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. So, and um, yeah. it was in 2001, uh, before the whole world changed. In September right. it was in the summer uh, on my 35th birthday, I was given a diagnosis of a a fast spreading form of cancer. And at the time I had a contract with a, um, what do you call that? The top 100, Fortune 100 corporations. And I was at the top of my career. And so what I do is I'm a sign language interpreter. So I did a lot of uh, technical interpreting and that kind of stuff at the time. And um, I was told, you know, you have cancer and we have to go in and inject you with radioactive dye to remove some lymph nodes to determine if you're going to get chemo with your radiation.
0: Whoa. And
1: yeah. So, um, let's see at 35, my kids were six and 12 and, um, you know, I had this tiny, tiny little voice inside as the doctor's going on and and telling me that we're going to do the surgery when he gets back from vacation. But I was thinking, wait a second, I'm taking my kids to, Orlando to Disney World because I was going to a a conference and um, my sister was going to come I'm going to give them five day passes to go to Disney World and it was two weeks after he got back from vacation I'm like well Well, will I be able to go will I be able to take my kids to Disney World he's like oh no no you cancel your vacation I'm just like you tell my six-year-old he's not going to Disney World (laughs) you know right but during this conversation there was something ever so tiny and quiet and, and it said, that's not for you as the doctor's explaining, radioactive dye being injected, removing lymph nodes, chemo and radiation, and that's not for you. So I said, no, no, I'm not doing that. And the doctor in not so nice terms said, what are you stupid, right. <laughs> saying, you'll be dead in two years. And so it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And this past June, last month, I celebrated 22 years since that. And coming to that space of wondering, am I going to be dead? Let's see, my kids will be eight and 14. I'll be gone. And I just started getting busy with, all right, I found a surgeon who was willing to just remove the tumor. And he recommended an oncologist that was willing to work with me for alternative methods. And I got busy right away and everything about me changed on that day. I guess if you were to meet me before, you know, I was corporate, I was at the top of my career. That was pretty much it. And you start to question everything.
0: Yeah. Once, uh, you don't really know what's coming next. And, uh, So, I mean, so what, what was it? Was it, uh, you go, uh, natural, um, you know, doing, uh, you know, change your diet, change, uh, you know, stuff of that nature. Was it more like that? And, um, I've heard a lot lot of success. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I did a lot of that stuff and I found out most of what people recommend, you know, when, I started telling and sharing with some people and then they would say, oh, you gotta try this mushroom or colonics, you know, that's the way to go. It's gonna save you, you know. They start recommending all kinds of stuff. So I learned right away not to share the information because it kind of brings up the poor me, you know, look at me kind of energy. And it just felt really yucky and I didn't like it. So I stopped sharing. That was the first thing I did. I kept it between me and higher power, God source, whatever you want to call that unseen part of you. And it was this unseen part of me that said, that's not for you. But I had no idea what. So like you said, I started changing all of these things. And one of the things that I realized is, between the ages of four and sixteen, I experienced a lot of what they call now trauma. And I learned, to suppress that trauma as it starts to come up you push it back down and I realized I kept pushing it back down it really muddied up everything that was going on with this meat suit which I call it now it's just here early right right could have been gone a long time ago you know if I made (laughs) the wrong choices and what a precious gift this is and I decided to no longer suppress that I had to all right this is coming up I'm going to deal with this and I learned integration because as a as a linguist I learned that the subconscious so we have our conscious awareness which they say is what about 10 percent of what we're we're aware of what's Somewhere. going on right right you have the unconscious and I was suppressing a lot of stuff down and not dealing with it in the unconscious. So, within my relationships and within my career, it would pop up and interfere and kind of muddy my lens with what's really going on. And so, then we have this some call it the subconscious, some call it the superconscious, so whatever that is, some call it God, whatever that is, that little part that spoke to me, I call it the subconscious. I discovered that this part of us has a linguistic process that is separate from both conscious and unconscious thought. And um, through all of the books and the study and the courses and the hundreds and hundreds of hours of research that I've done, Carl Jung talks about it. Dr. Um, Upledger talks about it in his book, The Inner Physician, where he says, there's a part of us that has the answers to everything that we need. If we can only connect to that. And so, you know, I began to evaluate this processing that goes on separate from my conscious and unconsciousness. And I began to learn that it's not only dealing with what comes up, because we don't wanna look at it, right? We don't wanna look at the trauma I faced, we don't wanna look at the bad choices I made. You know, we just want to push that back down. And so I began to look at it and it's like, all right, well, what do I do with this? You know, I don't want to projectile vomit, which is what we're doing right now, right? We're projectile vomiting on each other. I don't want to projectile vomit. What do I do with this? And the answer kept coming up was integration. And I learned like Japanese, if, if, if something is broken, they put it together back with gold and it's gold back together and it's stronger when we break an arm where the break was when you integrate it back together and it fuses it's stronger and so I'm like okay integration but how do I integrate and that's when I learned that we can actually teach this subconscious part of us that has a sec- separate language process from conscious and unconscious thought We can teach it how to do the integration work because I learned the mind, the conscious and unconscious, the trauma that's held there, we can't use that to heal the trauma. It's I I learned that when I started going through therapy. I thought, okay, I'll try therapy. And of course, the therapy wants to know everything. So I'm drudging up this stuff. And just from that therapy session, it took me weeks to recover. I was exhausted. (laughs) You know, I was traumatized again because the unconscious doesn't know if it's happening again or if you're just telling the story of
0: it. Right. And, and it's, realized- only, it's only 38% effective after 600 visits. Yeah.
1: I mean, what a waste of time and money, right? <laughs> so right. I, I learned to, all right, I'm going to co-create. I'm going to collaborate with this part of me. And as I began to heal, heal's a strong word, integrate, because I integrated the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that each of these little traumas and these things that happen that are suppressed in this in the unconscious, and it would come up, I would integrate and say hello, you know, and memories come would come back and you have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that I need to integrate within the wholeness that I am and teach this intelligence. And I'm not talking mind, brain intelligence, knowledge. I'm talking about this intelligence that is beyond us. Teach this part of us to do the integration work. And I developed this technique and I teach people now, 22 years later, You need nothing outside yourself. I needed nothing. I didn't really have to change though. Changing my diet for the meat suit was all good, right? Which was great, but you don't need anything outside yourself to heal because I did it with a very fast forming cancer, fast spreading cancer. To this day, I'm banned from donating plasma and blood because of the diagnosis. And so I had to really go inside and make, create a a co-creative relationship with this part of me. And I learned that as I integrated these things within myself, it kind of had like a subconscious effect on the people, which I call mirrors, my mirrors all around me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's important, too, that like I thought so I thought it was only um, like when you have these uh, what what they, you know, now, like you said, now is called trauma um, or things of that nature that are kind of getting held on to. I thought. It only was like affected Maybe two or three generations down the line from you. But I found out that it, it gets into your uh, RNA and is like up to like 25 to 30 generations that it affects after you from this thing you're holding on to. So, I mean, it's not, this is, you know, can change your whole uh, bloodline for thousands of years um just from one trauma that doesn't get resolved and then also the fact that if you're not doing if you're not you know uh, integrating it like you were saying it's gonna it's gonna come up on some time when you're and it's always when you're not expecting it and then you get uh And another term they use now triggered, and uh, it's just going to happen again, and it's going to be a lot worse, and you're always going to be on edge acting on adrenaline, Um, and when you're acting on adrenaline all the time you're not thinking clearly, and so it's it's, uh, yeah it's really easy to push things down but eventually it's going to come back up, and so. (laughs) That's key right there. And you
1: mentioned something really important that this generational uh, inheritance injuries or traumas that we receive from our past in working with people. I've had clients who had clear memories of being in the womb and clear memories of where the trauma originated from, from great, 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 great grandmother's side that kind of thing, depending on which side they feel it on. It's it's fascinating stuff. And only recently, science is starting to say, hmm, maybe there's something to that. Maybe we should look at that. And, you know, in working with a lot of people today, I am not a therapist. I help people discover their own processes of integrating and being someone who went to therapy and stuff like that, how it re-triggers these traumas and how it affects the body. In working with people, they'll tell me, I'm on a waiting list and it's like possibly four months before I can see a therapist. And so we have one, maybe two sessions and they're canceling their therapy appointments. This is how profound (laughs) this integration work is you need nothing. If you do decide you need medications, this is a personal choice. This is something you decide within your own mind, body, consciousness, experience. But this generational stuff that we are experiencing now with calling each other names and labels and theories and all of this pronouns as a, as a as a linguist, pronouns are something I use to describe you. But if you're dictating what pronouns I use, that's a suppression of speech. And so what I'm witnessing is people are not even communicating with each other anymore for fear of using the wrong language. And so this is going to bring up all kinds of Injuries, traumas, triggers, not only from this lifetime, but it's almost like time is all time periods are coming to a a clash and head. And you brought up some really good points about science, just, just, just discovering this.
0: Yeah. And I mean, because, yeah, it's easy to say, you know, don't, you know, don't mislabel me but like you can't go through again as you're going to be going through life always on edge waiting for someone just waiting for someone to do it to you when like you know if you want to be called whatever that's it's fine but find out what the reason is that's making you triggered if that's what's going to happen every time someone like you know if someone messes up, that's fine, but it's it's how the person's reacting if they're reacting because of a certain way. I mean, it's not on the person that says it, it's on whoever is you know you, you're everyone's responsible for their own emotions and their own their own stuff you know you know you can only get uh triggered or uh you know offended because you're getting exactly and emotions
1: are subjective and so you know if i call you the wrong pronoun and your emotions get triggered that's subjective so in the work i do is we make the subjective objective by giving it a number like hospitals use the pain scale what is your pain you know zero no pain 10, oh my God, give me the pain meds. Give me the epidural. <laughs> give me what you got. Put me out.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> 10
1: is a very painful space to be. And so we're kind of walking on eggshells right now over everybody's feelings and feelings are subjective. And when you force your feelings on someone else, you're subjectifying someone else. Right. And when we make it objective, okay, I'm just triggered. I'm on a, I'm on, it's an eight. This trigger is an eight. You just made the subjective objective because now I know what an eight feels like. You're triggered and it hurts, right? Right. I know what that is, but you're not subjectifying me to force me to, to use certain terms and words and walk on eggshells and be careful around you. And making it objective is, is the second part of the four-step process that I use. First, become aware of it. Okay, I'm triggered. Second, give it a number to make the subjective objective. Third, we train, once your subge- subconscious knows how to do the integration work, yes. you're, set, you're ready to go. You need nothing outside yourself. And then the fourth part is, is to release it from the nervous system. And I love dogs. Uh, I've studied the um, biology and structure and muscles of dogs and what dogs do when they're injured or they, or something happens, what do they do? They shake it off, right? It's a resetting of the nervous system. It's neuro kinesiology. So you're releasing that. Extra energy that is kind of going through the nerves, kind of like a um, uh, an electrical surge, right? We get Andrew. Our nervous system is surging. Is that the vagus? So
0: we can activate the vagus nerve for sure. Okay, but that is that what the dogs are doing? Is that the what is from, or is it from just different nerves? It's been so smoky here in Chicago from the- Oh yeah.
1: Sorry. It it could be activating the vagus nerve because once they release that energetic surge from the body, they're calmer. We can do the same thing. I can teach people a simple kinesiology uh, exercise, rubbing your hands together. So you're building positive ions and you're thinking about the situation it's an eight. I don't want it in my body anymore. I want to integrate all of the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. You can feel that if I were to touch you, you might get a shock, right? And then you clap your hands together. And this breaks up everything throughout the whole nervous system. And you check in and try and connect to that eight again. It's not there. It might move to a five. An eight to a five is huge. Big jump. Yeah, it's a big jump. Instantly.
0: You know,
1: two three minutes. And you're able to think more clearly. And so I work with people. I tell them, start integrating your triggers by watching what other people do. Look at your mirrors. What are your mirrors doing, right? Hmm. Ooh, I don't like that situation. It's a seven. I'm going to work on that when I'm triggered in my 3D reality. Right. Integrate all of the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of that trigger but allow the subconscious to reprogram, release, and let go of what no longer serves. The mind doesn't know what no longer serves. The unconscious doesn't know what no longer serves. But this subconscious part sees both. It sees both, and it sees it in perfect order and perfect sequence,
0: regardless of the time and space we're in currently. So then why do you think this is getting suppressed so much? And like, why why aren't they wanting people in, you know, this kind of uh, work to be done in the school or, you know, or, you know, in going to the corporations doing, um, you know, seminars. So I, I mean, I haven't been in the corporate life for a while. And I mean, I consume the seminars or seminars on everything um, now. And why not something like this? Why, why is something? Because I don't know. I feel some people, once they don't have that, the back to the, you know, don't don't you know? I have cancer. Don't you know? Feel bad for me. Um, once they don't have that, who are they? And I think that there's a number of cases of that, of once they don't have, I'm, I'm triggered by this, who am I? I need to have something because I need that attention uh, for myself to feel better about myself, not knowing that there's another way to do it. And because this is, it's the simple, easy gratification um, with no work whereas a little bit of work can change it, and then you are happy from within. You know, that's
1: an excellent question. If we look at the medical arena and we look at how people who are diagnosed with diabetes, the medical arena doesn't teach that person how their body works and what works best for this temporary machine. Instead, they medicate them, which creates more problems. Then you have a patient. They're actually not calling them patients anymore. I don't know if you notice hospitals and doctors are calling them customers. Hmm. So they want customers for life and ignorance is bliss for them. So what I learned, I had to find a doctor who was willing to work with me and I was I was actually one of Dr. Mercola's patients back then. I don't think he sees patients anymore, but at the time he taught me so much about how this body works and what this body needs for a path of healing and recovery instead of a path of repeating the cycle over and over again until I die, which the second seed, this doctor who told me I'd be dead in two years, he planted another seed He said, most patients with your cancer diagnosis usually get it again in five years. So there were two seeds. One, I'm going to be dead in two years. The other, if I survive, I'm going to get it again in five years. So these were seeds I literally had to pull out (laughs) or rather integrate. Okay, if I get it again in five years, then I get it again in five years. I had to be, basically, I had to be okay with dying, in order to start really integrating what was going on within my unconscious, but what they do, excellent question. They don't want us to heal. They don't want us to have this knowledge because I don't go back to the yeah. oncologist. I haven't gone back to the oncologist since my five-year mark. And she said, she didn't want to see me anymore. And I'm like, gladly. So yeah, yeah
0: they don't want it. There's money. in it. And I've, think that too with, uh, and like you said, some, you know, someone sees you one or two times, tell them, uh, guess what? You never have to see me again. And, you know, I'm, I say that too. I, like after I work with someone, um, I tell them, look, I don't want to see you ever again. You don't have to see me ever again. Tell your friends, uh, when you're feeling good, but you don't have to see me anymore. Like, I don't, I don't need you a repeat customer. I don't, I'm not, doing this to, you know, trick you into spending more money with me. I just, I'd rather you have the knowledge to feel better than keep you as a customer for life and feeding you bullshit forever. And then I have to live with that. I don't want that.
1: And when I work with people, I don't have them tell me the story because repeating the story kind of makes it really deep in our nervous system and our nervous system thinks it's happening again. So we're getting re-triggered every time we retell the story. And it's it's important to integrate it rather than make the story about who we are. And that's what these doctors and therapists do because in the United States here, it's for-profit medicine. They're about profic- profiting off of your injuries. And this is criminal,
0: in my opinion. Absolutely. And um, I mean, yeah, we, we have to pay for insurance as well as then have to pay for um, anything. I mean, yeah, we pay for insurance, but then you have to pay for you know, copay, you have to pay for the medications, you have to pay for the visits. Uh, it's just it's never ending and you know they're not you're not going to go to a doctor most likely and they say don't come back Uh, you know it's what we'll see you again uh, you know we'll check you up on you in a couple weeks or something like that and it's okay well here here goes this cycle and um, yeah I mean I, I was doing some stuff a few years ago where I was uh, I had, I had some few different things going on with me and I was part of a very well-known network of good medical, uh, place, a very, you know, whatever, um, where everyone kind of works together to facilitate you. And, Boy, did they like uh, bring me back all the time and giving me all kinds of different, you know, medications and different everything. And by that time, I was just like, I had so much stuff. And then I just was, I found something that wasn't that and just like got rid of all of it. And I didn't need it. And I was totally fine and feel a lot better. I'm not going there. Uh, there is not the the rusty diamond wing of the the clinic anymore. Um, you know, so it's it's nice not having to deal with that kind of stuff. It's not not worth it. and people are they're happy to take you, happy to take you and tell you there's there's stuff wrong with you and if you believe it, um, then again, yeah, there's something that's in, like you said, it's one of those seeds that's planted in you. It's like, well, doctor said it therefore yes, it must be true yeah yes. that's what it is yeah yes and and you know I have um
1: had huh, he just passed this past May but a younger brother I was about 10 years older than him he was born with a heart defect and obviously he needed medications to keep his heart you know so there's a, a place for yep. it but the doctors told my mom he wouldn't live past one years old and then He had surgeries, you know, brand new surgeries. He was, you know, experimented on pretty much. And then the doctors tell him, well, he won't live past six years old. And then at 10 years old, he won't live past this age. And finally, my mom said, stop playing God. You know, (laughs) obviously he's still here. Well, he lived to almost 46 and he was the oldest person, according to their books, that lived that long with his heart condition. He was on a, a waiting list for a transplant and then he was taken off the waiting list. Then he was put back on the waiting list. Then he was taken off the waiting list. And, it, you know, so there's a place for those things. But looking back and, and observing and witnessing what my brother went through, because I'd visit him in the hospital, they'd let me in because the nurses would go, Oh, you look 16, you can go in. And witnessing what he went through, life and death, every single day. I I'm wondering if it prepared me for my you know diagnosis of you'll be dead in two two years if you don't do this this and this, and I forgot where I was going, but how there there is a place that's where I was going. There is a place for medicine, but you get to decide what's right for you. I had to decide and be 100% okay with my decision that if I'm going to die in two years, then. I'm gonna be dead in two years, so I'm gonna get everything in order. And boy, I got busy. I got so busy. Two years flew by, and I'm like, "Whoa!" The oncologist says it's five years already. You know, it's like, "Wow, I'm still here, right?" Pinch me, pinch me.
0: Um, yeah. So, sure. I mean, what you do then? When uh, what what was the point when you were able to accept it? Accept that I'm gonna be dead. And like I I say this. Um, you know uh because yeah once you're like well what what can be worse um and i you know once you once you shit your pants you can't shit your pants anymore like you're whatever you're just gonna go and that's what's gonna happen now um then you're kind of free for whatever and able to do what you want and so what what was the point when you were kind of figured out okay well I've accepted this, this is what's happening. And then what can I do now? I would say, I think the point when I started
1: really digging deep, not really digging, but allowing stuff to come up. And one of the things I discovered uh, was plant medicines. And getting to the point of going inside and doing the journey work and being okay with what's happening in the five sensory realm. Because the five sensory realm wasn't everything of who I was. And I was okay with disconnecting from the five sensory realm. And I knew I would be okay. There was this knowing, not in the, in the human brain, mind conditioned, programmed part of me, because that part will be, wait a second, that's scary. I'm afraid to die. What if it hurts? So the mind was constantly going. And I, and I think realizing my mind was not who I was, who I really am. And sometimes, maybe most of the time, the mind is not my friend. And I realized when I put that separation between this larger unseen part with the mind and body, the mind and body has needs, but the mind is highly programmed. And I think that's when I realized there's more here that I'm okay with losing this part of me. And um, once I was okay with dying, I started living. I mean, I, I had hundreds of hours of training in cranial sacral therapy through the Upledger Institute and um, learning Reiki, obviously one of the first things I learned, learning dousing and all of these things are considered woo-woo, but now science is taking a look at, you know, it's like, hmm, maybe there's something to this. So
0: yeah. <laughs> for sure. So to, to go back, one, so when you said the plant medicine, do you like something kind of that way? Um, yeah, I and opened you... myself
1: up and, and asked, what is the next step? And literally within days, <laughs> I was invited to an ayahuasca ceremony. There was a shaman coming to the area and there was a group of people who um Invited a select few. And um, I was like, okay, well, I've never heard of it. What is it? You know? And she told me, and I said, let me get back to you. I'm going to do some research. And realizing that I would be breaking all kinds of laws and doing this, there was so much more positive the negative to the experience. And um, I prepared myself as much as I possibly could for the uh, event. And um, over the course of 10 plus years, uh, maybe longer, it was probably around 2019, um, I was done. I had participated in 22 ayahuasca ceremonies. And because this human has a very hard head and, you know, thinks she knows everything, <laughs> huh. um, there was some walls that needed to be punched through for at least my experience. Now, not everybody has to even go through an ayahuasca experience to come huh. to this place of, all right, I'm okay with dying. And but it was these experiences that really shattered these layers, and I didn't have a lot of time. So um, I needed medicine that was gonna work quickly. So instead of so many rounds of chemotherapy and radiation, I did so many rounds of ayahuasca plant medicine. And this to me was my medicine, my treatment. And just go inside and ask, what is the next step? You might not know it. Somebody will come into your experience and invite you to something, you know, that might be illegal, who knows, but um, science, again, is opening up to the healing possibilities of trauma and injury.
0: Yeah, so I talked with one of my co-hosts about this recently, and uh, I brought up the the thing of a, you know, quote-unquote, bad trip, But, and, you know, I, so I had not experienced that, but, um, but at the same time, I was like, well, you know, just don't go into that, you know, don't, don't go and try to do anything if you're going to possibly have a bad trip. But he said, no, no, that's, that's wrong. That's, that's the time when your brain and your, your body and everything, is that the, the best place to be able to experience that and work through it? Because that's what you need to do. And it's something that's just getting again, yeah, you know, pushed down and suppressed deep within you. And it's something, you know, such as dying that where just like, oh gosh, you know, I don't want it. This is like, oh, this is something that's right in your in your face and let's deal with this now. Let's take care of this. And then able to just let go and um yeah, of course. The idea,
1: yes, the idea of a bad trip is just that an idea, and it's 100% mind. So, um, you could say I had a bad trip on my seventh ayahuasca session ceremony. Um, I, th- I thought I had died, and um, I was really, really deep, deep down. And um, I saw death coming at me the way we're trained to see death, like bones and ugly and just, you want to avoid it at all cost. Yeah. So I saw death coming at me. And in that moment, I felt the fear coming up. Oh my gosh, this is a bad trip. Am I dead? Did I really die? You know, what's going on? So I felt all this fear coming up and I recognized it right away. And I realized, hold off, hold off all this fear, hold off mind. I want to see where this is going to go. <laughs> what do I have to lose? You know, if I'm yeah. dead, I'm dead. If I'm not, I'm going to learn something, right? Right. Looking back, I'm so glad I did. Because as I stayed with the imagery of death and the fear that it had, suddenly she became so beautiful. And my body changed. Everything about it changed. And I realized I wasn't dead because I had to pee. I'm like, oh, yay, I'm not dead. (laughs) So the body's going to let you know when to come back. And looking back, I could have made it a bad experience. But if I stayed and realized, oh, that's just mind, I am not my mind, and put the mind down here and say, all right, where is this imagery? Where is Aya taking me? And this was my seventh ceremony. And I call it my death experience because my body was so far deep, deep. It could have you know, gone someplace else. But my consciousness was so expanded that when I stayed with what the mind thought was something, it was not. It was beauty. It was all that is. And that was my bad experience, if you will. So there are no
0: bad experiences. Yeah, I think that's something that needs to be rephrased now. uh, And, you know, looked at differently and um yeah because i mean there's something so obvious and something that just it really just light bulbs went off in my head and I, oh okay yeah that makes a lot of sense that's something and i mean um you know same thing when i'm working with a client who has um you know some sort of ptsd and i you know tell them like i'll do it desensitization technique and like you got it one more time, but you're going to be in the absolute best scenario to experience it. And it's not going to come up sometime you're going to get triggered and you're going to always be on edge. You're going to do it right here. And then every time after that, it's going to be less and less impactful when it happens. They'll bring that a 10 down to a you know five or eight down to a five, eight down to a two. Um, and then just watch it just go. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the fact when something comes up to us, the difference between hiding from it and then facing it head on is life or death in a way. Yes, and face death.
1: Don't run from it. When you face death, you start to live. Yeah, you're afraid of death. You're afraid of living. You say no to opportunity. Oh no, I can't do that. What if I die?
0: Right. And what, what if you don't? What but from you don't that, die? I
1: won't jump out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I haven't got there yet either. I, I don't. I don't know if I will. um I'm okay with that. There's I'll do roller other roller coasters. Yeah, <laughs> roller yeah, coasters. Roller co- that sounds good. Yeah, there are plenty of other dumb, dumb stuff I've done. But yeah, jumping out of plane uh I'm okay with that I I can prove that I I'm you know uh not not afraid of too many things but if I don't jump out of an airplane who am I really proving that to um so (laughs) but um so Denny where can people find you find your work uh contact you to work with you um learn about you where can they do that
1: absolutely heartfeltawakening.com or um pretty much everywhere on social media, Heartfelt Awakening.
0: Excellent. Okay. Well, hey, Danny, uh, it was great talking with you and getting to, to know you and getting everyone to yeah, be able to learn and um, experience what, what we've all experienced and what you've experienced, what I've experienced, and we all experienced the whole. So thank you so joy. much. Thank Absolutely. You. You're very welcome. And have a good rest of your day. All right. Danny Van, there we go, you guys. Give her a a, a look over. Um, I was gonna say once over, but I mean twice over, thrice over, and just go for it. Like, yeah, you got to face face shit. It's uh, it's gonna be a lot more scary if you don't face shit. So, like you said, you know, live or die. Um. You know what? Uh think about think about the credit kid. Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> Live or die. And what's he do? He fucking honks his nose. What's that say? What's that mean? I don't know. But you guys, um, thank you for listening here on the Quantum Global Broadcast Network QG. And uh, the, the pop podcast, the public access podcast with me, Rusty Diamond. Uh, check out other great shows on here, such as When the Gloves Come Off, Thinking Man's Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is it with Lizzie and Saved by the Ben. And this show is brought to you by Fred Ben Savage's Bucks, Stone reach Productions, Hardcore Entertainment, Hypnosis is great, and up.org You guys like, share, subscribe. Pass it along. This is great. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. And that is the show. Man. Boom. It's... Rusty Diamond, Motherfucker! It's Rusty Diamond, Motherfucker! Ernest! 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 Ernest. Yes, Pee-wee. You brought the snacks, right?